where we come to something of a different passage this morning, don't we? Thus far, if you've been with us through the book of Philippians, you've seen a number of different textual types. We've looked at Paul's prayer, his theological reflections on life and philosophies, his instruction and personal encouragement. We've even considered a song of praise. And last week we looked at a specific command to work out our salvation. And then we hit this brief section in the letter, speaking of two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And what will we define this text as? Travel plans? A health report? It's certainly a little bit of an oddity, isn't it? Wedged in this beautiful, joyous letter, a comment about Timothy and his intention to travel, and an update on Epaphroditus and his current health. And though these personal references do remind us that this is a personal letter, we can be tempted to question their relevance or even wonder why God has purposed them to be part of his self-revelation in Holy Scripture. Simply put, why are they here and what do we do with them today? Well, firstly, let me say that when you come to passages like this one here in Philippians 2, or scattered throughout both our Old and New Testament, when you encounter those unique, quirky passages that seem to have no real relevance to your own life, the great lists of names and numbers recorded in the book of Numbers, the extensive genealogies scattered throughout our history books, let me encourage you to avoid the temptation to skip over them or to dismiss them as unimportant. They are, after all, still part of God's word. And as his spirit illuminates his truth for his people, we will see that such passages still have much to teach. So don't ignore them. Secondly, with these unique and sometimes quirky passages, let me encourage you, as we always should do, to read them in their context. Where do they fit and how do they fit within the book in which they're found? And then stepping out into the greater context of the Bible, how do they fit within God's big story? By using this approach here this morning, we're going to see that Paul's words about Timothy and Epaphroditus do in fact have much to say to us today. So let's begin now by looking at Paul's words about Timothy. Paul writes of Timothy, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks to their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon." Now, friends, what we're seeing here, what we're reading now, is so much more than Paul's itinerary for Timothy, so much more than a simple travel plan. What we're seeing here 
is a living example of the first two chapters of Philippians. Paul strategically places this personal reference for Timothy here at this portion of the letter because Timothy exemplifies everything that Paul has already taught. Let's see how he does it. Paul begins, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. Timothy's coming to Philippi is a perfect example of the intersection between God's sovereign will and man's own plans. That's been an important topic for Paul as he's considered his own mortality, how he will continue to serve God and ultimately who is in control of his life. He has the plan to send Timothy to Philippi, but he knows that it is only in the Lord Jesus that this will come to pass. He has his own desire, but he recognizes God's hand in the matter. This is the exact same paradox that we explored when we're told to work out our salvation, for it is God who works in you. The sovereign God and the active human participant working together. And Paul says that his sending of Timothy will be yet another example of God's sovereignty and man's responsibility in acting together. And why is he sending Timothy? Well, he continues, that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. Now, if you're with with us when we began this series, you would realize that what Paul is saying has already been expressed back in chapter 1, verse 27. Paul said to the Philippians, whether I come and see you or I only hear about you in my absence. Well, this is how that will come to pass. Paul is still unsure. He says, we're going to wait and see what happens to me a little later on. But he says, I will send Timothy so that I may hear about you so that my joy increases. That was his plan all along. Man's plans, God's sovereignty, woven together. Paul doesn't just simply sit back and wait around knowing that God is in control. It's not some sort of fatalistic faith that he has that just renders him inactive. No, he acts. He moves, he puts things into practice, knowing, yes, that God is in control. He still enacts his own plans. Then he speaks about Timothy personally. What a reference it is. I have no one else like him, says Paul, who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Friends, Timothy is an example of the humility that Paul has urged mere verses ago. At the beginning of chapter 2, as he instructed the church on how to live as one in Christ, of one mind, one will, one heart, he said in verse 2-3, In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What does he say about Timothy? Timothy shows genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks to their own interests, but not Timothy. 
No, Timothy looks to your interests. Timothy embodies that humility, disregarding his own interests for the sake of the church, for the sake of Paul. And notice here how Timothy does it. Verse 4, sorry, verse 21. Everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Paul likens the looking out for other interests as looking out for the interests of Jesus Christ. That is how Timothy humbles himself and looks for the best in others. By having the mind of Jesus Christ. By looking for the interests of Jesus Christ. Timothy, like Paul, will disregard himself so that he might see the good work God has done in others carried on to completion. Just as Paul prayed it would be in chapter 1. Note the subtle difference that this makes to our consideration of humility earlier. We were told by Paul that we must lay aside our own interests for the interests of others. But here he makes it clear that those interests must align with the interests of Christ Jesus. We don't humble ourselves to allow others to continue in sin. We don't humble ourselves so that others are unaided in some way. No, what we are to do and what Timothy did was to have the same mindset as Christ. Timothy approaches Philippi with that mindset, the interests of Jesus as he looks for the interests of others. What will help Philippi grow? What will display the love of Christ most clearly? What will spur others on in the joy of Christ? What will help others lean into the mercy of Christ? What will help others work out their salvation with appropriate fear and trembling before a holy Lord Jesus? And on and on we could go. Timothy looks to the interests of others by looking to the interests of Christ. Timothy understood what Paul was saying about true humility and evidently he lived it out. He was a proven servant, says Paul. Verse 22, you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with a father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. Timothy is described here as Paul's right-hand man. A true and dedicated partner in the gospel. Another great theme of the Philippian epistle. Timothy is the epitome of partnership in the gospel. He has served faithfully side by side with Paul. They are as close as a father and a son, mentor and mentee, co-laborers in Christ. And as such, Timothy has faithfully executed his duties. He has lived a gospel-centered life. A Christ-focused humility flows out of him and Paul rejoices because he has no one else like Timothy. When we step outside of this immediate verse and into the wider witness of Scripture, we come to see that Timothy is Paul's most trusted companion. You can track their journeys together through the book of Acts, where together they break new ground for the gospel, preaching to the unconverted. 
where together they plant churches and raise up elders, continuing to preach and teach and disciple others. You can, of course, look to the letters that Paul wrote personally to Timothy, instructing him in the faith, where he regularly praises and adores Timothy for his service. And if you read the New Testament epistles, you'll see that Philippi is not unique. On multiple occasions, Timothy was sent as an emissary, as a visitor, as a messenger, as a worker from Paul to the early churches. He was sent to Corinth. He was sent to Thessalonica. He pastored in Ephesus and here we're told he would come to Philippi to train them, to teach them, to have their interests at heart. In 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul wrote this, For this reason I have sent to you, this is Corinth, Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Timothy was so trusted by Paul that Paul can confidently send him in his place. Though Paul is in chains for Christ, awaiting his fate at the hands of Caesar, he can send Timothy as if he himself were coming, knowing that Philippi will be in secure hands because a faithful servant of Christ is coming to care for them. What a challenge this simple passage should present to any Christian reading this. Am I like Timothy? Are you like Timothy? Would Paul so confidently send us in his place? Were he unable to send anyone else? Would he write this reference for you as you went to care for those in a distant church? And if I'm not like it now, am I at least becoming more like that? A humble, faithful, God-honoring, Christ-fearing, gospel servant. It is the call of every Christian to be such a person. Are we, are you, a proven servant of the gospel? Speaking of proven servants, Paul says, I'm also sending back Epaphroditus. We're in verse 25 of Philippians 2. Paul continues, I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. Now, I'm going to be up front with you all. The wider testimony of Scripture about the man Epaphroditus amounts to nothing. 
We know nothing of Epaphroditus other than what we learn in this letter. Clearly, he was a Philippian, a man of the church who has taken on a task on behalf of those people. They, we're told, have supported Paul financially and with other gifts. And Epaphroditus is the one entrusted to take that care package and to bring the messages from Philippi to Paul, to encourage him, to strengthen him, to resource him. And as Epaphroditus has undertaken this task, he has become ill to the point of death, we're told. And yet, says Paul, that did not stop his determination to carry out his task. Though he very literally faced death, not by persecution, but by illness, he was undeterred in the task that the church had given him. Like Timothy, he proved himself to be a faithful servant, not wavering from that which God had given him to do. It's a little bit of a stinging rebuke, isn't it? When we consider the most minor of excuses can often be enough to derail our service, as Andrew considered in depth last week. Epaphroditus faced down death for the sake of his church, for the sake of his God, and for the sake of the gospel. But again, consider Epaphroditus the same way we did Timothy. As an example of what has already been written by Paul in Philippians. He is one who is not phased by death. If by life or death I can serve Christ, I will, said Paul. So Epaphroditus embodies that. So long as God God is honored and the gospel is doing its work, that is sufficient. He is another co-laborer held in the deepest regard by Paul and his primary task was a mercy mission. He was sent to care for the needs of Paul. He acted in love and compassion, again echoing that humility that we saw in the man Timothy. The other's centeredness that Paul longs for in Christians was evidenced in Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, brothers and sisters, understood what it meant to have the mind of Christ, to imitate Christ's own humble posture, to not consider his own life worth more than the mission that he had to deliver gifts and messages to Paul. No, he imitated Christ's own humility, which Paul reflected on earlier in this chapter. And just as Paul reflected on Christ's humility, and its outcome, so he urges a similar outcome for Epaphroditus. Back in verse 9 of this chapter, consider what Paul said the outworking of Christ or the response to Christ's humility was. Jesus humbled himself, we know, becoming a man, and as a man became obedient to death on the cross. And verse 9, therefore, as a response, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ's humility and ultimate humiliation overflowed into God's honoring and glorifying of Christ. And Paul says that in this world, 
we should experience some sort of microcosm of that. Just as Epaphroditus replicated Christ's humility, so we should replicate the response. Verse 29, Paul says, So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Just as Christ received the greatest of honor in the greatest of humility. So when the humble servant of the Lord undertakes their service, they should be honored by the church. Humble, faithful Christian service, says Paul, should be held in high regard, should be honored by brothers and sisters. Let me ask us, how well do we do that in our lives? How well do you honor those who serve? When you hear how the Samways have served alongside Samuel and Mercy at Peace Children's Home, do you want to shower them with honor for their service? Or was the video perhaps a little hard to understand and took up 10 minutes of your life that you're not going to get back? When our musicians serve and honor God with their gifts, are you grateful that they've stepped into the breach to do so? That they would serve you and God? Or do we complain, grumbling, that perhaps they didn't pick the song we like or they aren't at the standard of professional musicians? Do we have a culture of honoring servants among us? Or like the Australians around us, do we tend to cut down people who are garnering a bit of a name for themselves in some way? Or are we a little apathetic? Are we perhaps critical where we should be honoring? Friends, see here in his writing, Paul has no shame in honoring these two men. He pours honor upon honor on Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he does so by the description he gives of each of them. I have no one like them. They are the greatest of servants. They are men to be emulated and honored. Now bear with me for one moment. I'm going to ask you to use your imaginations. Imagine this scene with me. You are in the church at Philippi and Timothy and Epaphroditus arrive with a letter written by the Apostle Paul. That letter is addressed to all God's holy people, the whole church in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. They hand us that letter. And as is custom, we read it aloud. Imagine the scene as we read this section of Philippians 2, with Timothy and Epaphroditus standing there in your midst. I have no one like him, says Paul. Epaphroditus nearly died for the gospel. Honor men like this. They would stand there, humble certainly, but unashamed, because it's actually true. They are gospel servants. And Paul says, look to them as examples, as encouragement, and as a source of joy in the faith. They are co-laborers who get it, and it should bring joy to the church. Would that happen here? 
Could we equally pull examples from our midst and stand them as we read a letter? Friends, one final thought exercise. Imagine NBC sent you on a mercy mission, that you were to take the place of Timothy or Epaphroditus in a similar gospel-sharing opportunity. Whatever it may be, encouraging another church, taking the message to an unreached people, what recommendation would we write to accompany you? Would it echo Paul's sentiments here? That you are humble, that you have a genuine gospel mindset, you are an unwavering, tested and proven servant, a faithful co-laborer. We have no one like them. If not, why not? Timothy and Epaphroditus were just Christian brothers. Perhaps they had a different set of gifts, sure. But they're no more holy. They do not have a different Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Friends, if we wouldn't write such things of you, why not? What could be done to change it? And I know that right now there's a temptation in your mind to write this off. Satan might be niggling away or your own flesh might be resisting this question. Paul literally said there was no one else like Timothy, so how can you suggest we should be, Ryan? Timothy was one of a kind. Well, I'm going to ask you to get rid of your get-out-of-self-reflection-free card. I'll concede that Timothy perhaps was somewhat exceptional, and Epaphroditus seems like he may have been extraordinary. But this isn't the only time that Paul wrote like this of his brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to end here by taking you to Romans 16. If you've got your Bibles, please turn with me. The final chapter of the book of Romans. Paul, this time writing to a different church, obviously the church in Rome. Romans 16, I'm going to begin reading from verse 3. Paul writes, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Anemitus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been imprisoned with me. They were outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our worker in Christ, and my dear friend, Statius. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who worked hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. And greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother, 
who has been as a mother to me too. Brothers and sisters, our scriptures are riddled with simple Christian men and women who lived faithful, humble lives of service, gospel co-laborers. What would be said about you and I if Paul were to write about us? Friends, would you pray with me that if not today, then in the very near future, those words would be as positive as the ones we've considered this morning. Let's pray together. Our Lord, our Heavenly Father, all too often it is so easy to read your scriptures and consider the men and women named within them as extraordinary people who did things far beyond the capacity of the common man or woman. But we know, Lord, that these men and women whom we have considered today are simple Christian brothers and sisters, people who loved the Lord Jesus, who understood service, who clung to the gospel, and who lived, lived lives that modelled that. We pray that this morning you would teach us from their example, that we would be rebuked where we fall short, that we would be encouraged where we see success. Lord, help us to honour those among us who serve faithfully. Whatever that service may be, those who are serving you and serving the gospel, may we hold them in the highest of esteem. Lord, we ask that you would move in each of us. By your Spirit, reveal to us what would be said of us if such a reference were written by Paul. And Lord, where we find them falling short, we ask that you might stir in us a greater desire to love and serve one another and to love and serve our Lord Jesus. May we do that, that he would be known amongst us and made known in the world around us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.